It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and our show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us and that helps others find the show. My name is Kay Winningall and today we're going to talk about the Victorian Government. It's just announced that it's going to legislate to allow it to forge its own path on upgrading the electricity grid infrastructure and implement renewable technologies such as giant batteries. This means amending the National Electricity Act, Victorian Act of 2005, to give the state the power to undertake renewable projects without waiting for permission from the National Energy Market Commission. Obviously, something had to be done after Australia's large, latest large disastrous bushfire season and as usual it's up to the states to take appropriate action. So for our show today I'm going to replay the plenary speech that the Honourable Lily D'Ambrosio, Victoria's Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change and Minister for Solar Homes gave at the All Energy Conference in Australia Conference in October last year. The All Energy Australia exhibition and conference is Australia's largest national showcase of clean energy and renewable energy. And Lily D'Ambrosio was commenting then on the lack of action by the federal government. So the audio begins with an introduction from Kane Thornton, who is a chief executive of the Clean Energy Council, the peak body for the clean energy industry in Australia. Ladies and gentlemen, in my opening remarks, I made reference to the lack of national policy leadership and vision for the transition of the energy sector. I also made reference to a number of states and territories pushing on with that very, very important task. And I think particularly here in Victoria, I think we've seen under the Andrews government the outlining of a very clear vision, a very clear commitment to clean energy as part of that vision and a package of very tangible policies and initiatives to deliver on that and the uh, very strong progress here in Victoria to that end has very much been led by the Honourable Lily D'Ambrosio, Victoria's Minister for Energy and Solar Homes. Um, She's been a a long-standing friend of the clean energy industry. Her knowledge, engagement in this critical industry is very, very obvious for anyone who meets her, and I'm sure we'll hear and see more of that on display shortly. She has represented the electorate of Mill Park in Victoria in the Legislative Assembly since 2002. She remains the only woman responsible for energy across the nine national and subnational governments in Australia. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the Honourable Lily D'Ambrosio.
Good morning to everyone and thank you very much to Kane for your invitation and your welcome and I'm not sure how many of these I've been to uh, over the years but there's always something new to say but still observations are, are sometimes very similar in some ways so which probably explains I suppose the, the state of schism that, that we're in uh, at a national level in terms of the dynamism of the industry but if you like almost the standing still of a number of institutional realities if you like that are still sort of stuck in a particular era and not matching the uh, the pace of change and where effectively all of us want to be and certainly where uh, consumers want to be. I also though want to acknowledge formally the traditional owners of this land and my respects uh, go to all of them as the traditional custodians. My respects are to all of their elders past and present and emerging and any who may be here amongst us today. Certainly uh, over the next two days you're going to have uh, many discussions uh, regarding the latest policy, finance, business and technology developments impacting uh, our growing renewable energy sector. It's an achievement certainly that this room is full of so many representatives from diverse uh, energy backgrounds and industries uh, all working together towards what has to be and is a shared goal of shaping our energy landscape. And certainly the end goal is about reduced emissions and net zero emissions by 2050. But there's a lot of space in between now and that point. Uh, and there's a lot of grappling with uh, some very key challenges that we are all facing. But I know that collectively, history will very much record and, and demonstrate that we, uh, our shared vision of where we need to be is the correct one. We just need to navigate our way to that end. We can all recognise that the landscape is experiencing significant change and certainly it's a transition that impacts uh, every single one of us. Whether it be the innovators developing new technologies, uh, industries, building direct relationships with energy producers, households producing their own power, to the average Australian family just wanting to cut their power bills. Uh, we're all feeling it, uh, and it's why more, now more than ever we need progressive policies to deliver a clean and reliable energy future. The transition, of course, uh, as, uh, as Kane uh, alluded to, is certainly well underway in Victoria. And for us as a government, it's about not just understanding that, but not standing in the way of that and effectively though helping to facilitate that transition because we know ultimately it is good for all consumers. We've legislated of course very strong uh, renewable energy targets to reach 25% of our generation from renewable sources by the end of 2020. We're very well on the way to achieving that and, and exceeding it and 40% by 2025 and 50% by 2030, which is almost through the Victorian Parliament. Our 2030 target is expected to create more than 24,000 jobs, mostly in regional Victoria, and while saving thousands of dollars for households and businesses alike. And as a direct result of our VRET scheme and local content requirements, we've also seen a very strong renewable energy supply chain emerge. Now, we're the only state to have legislated these targets, but we're the only state to actually have crafted within that local content requirements. And we're actually reaping the benefits of that. Keppel Prince is, is a well-known business entity and is now producing a record number of wind towers. Wilson's Transformers, which has been a Victorian institution now for many decades, is expanding their capacity. 
and Vestas Turbine Assembly, of course, is breathing new life into Geelong's old Ford factory. At the same time, if we're serious about seeing even more of these success stories, we need to provide clarity to industry. And that is what has motivated our government. Because we know that if industry is constantly second-guessing our commitments, then it will be the consumers who ultimately pay the price. It's for this reason that Victoria has a very strong plan in place to reduce emissions. And we've introduced Victoria's Climate Change Act, which is the centrepiece of our commitment to minimise the impacts of climate change. We have set a net zero emissions target by 2050, and we're on track to reduce Victoria's emissions by 18% in 2020 on 2005 levels. And to keep us on track, we'll establish interim emissions targets for 2025 and 2030 by the middle of next year. Yes, we're very serious, and we have to be. History will not forgive us if we are not serious about these challenges. But it's not about history that we are waiting to to have us tested by. Right now, we know that Victorians and Australians more broadly are really desperately seeking and wanting leadership. So these are not just notional targets that I've referred to. They'll be accompanied, that is the interim emissions targets. They'll be accompanied by sector pledges and underpinned by practical, concrete actions. And because we are a Labor government, They'll be developed in consultation with industry, environmental groups and, critically, workers and their unions. So this is about the transition, but it's also been able to put some meat on the bone in terms of what does that look like. We can all espouse this notion and tack it on to the general commentary we make about a new energy system and lower emissions economy and just tack on the phrase uh, transition, but it actually needs to mean something to people. It needs to be tangible and it needs to be embedded in everything we do. Now, the shift to clean energy shouldn't leave anyone behind, and that really is about that very question of transition. In Victoria, we're ensuring that's the case through a range of initiatives. For example, we have our $1.3 billion solar homes program supporting 770,000 households to install solar panels a battery system or solar hot water over the next 10 years. Now that's more than two gigawatts of new power on people's roofs. That's an incredible amount of power. We can truly capitalise on a program of this scale because of our prior investment in smart meters. This absolutely gives the visibility to the Australian energy market operator for all the systems that are right across our state. And that is absolutely important in terms of their coordination role. Victoria is the envy of the national energy market in terms of the information basis on which we can incorporate these mini generators into the grid. Another example, of course, is our $15.8 million microgrid demonstration initiative. And this showcases innovative projects that combine renewable energy, storage and smart control technologies. We've had some great success stories uh, in Victoria, like the community of Yakandanda, who've taken back control of their energy costs and discovered firsthand the benefits of distributed energy. So there are many champions out there, many communities out there, who are not just going to sit and wait for governments or energy agencies, if you like, to catch up. So as we see more communities across the country finding their own solutions, we need to make sure the right technology is in place to ensure control and coordination of energy services. And we need the incentives and protection for consumers, and we need to reform marketplaces for grid services to be bought and sold. That's why we're investing $10 million to maximise the benefits of renewable sources, resources for the community and build the grid of the future. 
We're also establishing a new expert advisory committee to deliver a distributed energy resources strategy that will drive vital regulatory reform. And finally, we're ensuring we have the right storage resources in place to harness all the new clean energy coming into our grid. And for starters, we've invested $25 million in Victoria's battery storage initiative. And that's led to the installation of a big battery at the Ganawara solar farm and a big battery at the Ballarat terminal station. We've also invested in battery storage for, uh, with Neowen at Nectar Farms uh, development in central Victoria, which is on its way. Both the battery, the first two batteries that I've talked about are strategically located and deliver crucial frequency control and backup services in milliseconds to maintain stability in the network for Western Victoria. So it's just the start of the storage revolution and I'm excited to keep working with industry and communities across the country to deliver new solutions. The Victorian Government understands the issues and pressures of rising energy costs for everyday people. And that's why we've also been putting the pressure back on energy retailers and putting an end to unfair behaviour through a tranche of market reforms. Because when we think about energy transformation, we need to think about the whole system. We need to think about generation, transmission, distribution at the retail end and the orchestration of all of those pieces of what is increasingly a very complex orchestra to manage. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to an address to the All Energy Conference in Melbourne late last year by the Honourable Lily D'Ambrosio, Victorian Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change and Minister for Solar Homes. Now, in terms of some of the reforms that we've established uh, for the retail part of the system, we've established the Victorian default offer, which is the precursor to what has happened nationally. Uh, it is fair retail price as well as the retailer's obligation to communicate their best offer to customers. Both of these reforms came into effect on the 1st of July this year. We have also increased the utility relief grant cap from $500 to $650. This will help households and families suffering unexpected hardship, for example losing a job, to pay their water, gas or electricity bills. We've also, of course, have got the very popular power savings bonus, and that is another way that we're helping Victorians save money. By simply comparing the affordability of their bill and the Victorian Energy Compare website, they'll receive $50 back. Now, people might say, well, you know, it's $50, but it's really about raising awareness. And it's nice for people to have $50 in their pocket, but raising awareness and assisting people through an independent government-owned Energy Compare website is really part of enabling Victorians to understand what the retail offers are, are out there and be able to make better informed choices about which retailer offers are best suited to their needs. And lastly, through the training of 600 emergency relief workers across the state, they will be able to distribute energy saving resources to vulnerable households. This service will be available to any consumer that walks into any of the more than 30 emergency relief locations across regional and metropolitan Victoria. So through our market reforms and energy fairness programs, we will continue to make energy fairer, simpler and more affordable for the community. Now, these are just some of the policies and programs that we've rolled out in the four and a half years that we've been in government. It touches across the energy system in Victoria. So there's rapid change, there's very instructive change, very deliberate change that we have, that we're motivated to fostering and rolling out. 
But there is a significant choke point or a series of choke points that are now threatening what should be a smooth transformation to an energy system, a new energy system, and that is our national energy frameworks that are out of date. We're playing a massive game of catch-up and we're not playing it quickly enough. Now that's not me being ideological, this is not a brown versus green debate in that, although some people like to make it that, very few people, but some vocal people like to make it that. It is simply the truth. It is simply the truth. And our institutions are basically needing to be far more proactive and understanding uh, that they, are, they ought to be swimming with the current and not against it. And that's why, as Victoria's Energy Minister, I've been resolutely focused on doing what we can, what I can, to ensure an affordable, sustainable and reliable energy system. But ultimately, it can't be done in isolation, and we all know that. We know both the federal government and our national energy institutions to play a far greater role in delivering infrastructure investment and market reform. So this morning, I'd like to highlight the importance of regulatory reform, and I'd like to use three examples to illustrate my point. Firstly, I'd like to talk about reliability. The market operator has told us that this summer will be quite tight with transmission shortfalls and an increasing unreliability of ageing coal-fired power stations. So, for example, the, re the Reliability and Emergency Reserve Trader, or RERT, mechanism will need to play an increasingly prominent role for all of us across states over the coming years. But the rules prevent the market operator from reducing the risk of shortfalls or find more cost-effective solutions by procuring RERT contracts on a multi-year basis. This is despite a recent review by the Australian Energy Market Commission into RERT. And it's not the first time that the Australian Energy Market Commission has demonstrated it has a tin ear to the need for change. And for all of the journalists out there, please differentiate between the Market Commission and, and other institutions because I, I think they sometimes are interchangeable in terms of the way they're referred to. The Australian Energy Market Commission is charged with making the rules under our system. And we have seen too slow uh, a response to the need for rules to keep pace with the dynamic change in the industry and what consumers want. Now, so because of this, of course, Victoria has sought a derogation from the national electricity rules to permit the operator, that is the market operator, to contract forward services reserves on a multi-year basis where this represents value for money. And that is a matter for the market operator to determine. Now, I know root reform is not a silver bullet, but I do want to be very clear that Victoria will do everything it can to make sure our communities have the power they need this summer and into the future. My second example relates to system strength. We're seeing an inefficient approach to addressing system strength issues emerging across the national network because the energy market rules simply don't promote more efficient solutions. So when we think about efficient, let's think about this in terms of costs. Let's think about this in terms of reduced emissions, because all of those matters, those two matters, actually go to that very question of efficiency when we consider the broader benefits to our economy and communities. Currently, new generators are required to do no harm in connecting to the transmission network. This means that new renewable energy projects may need to invest in technology to remediate system strength issues, such as by way of synchronous condensers. The market operator should be able, should be able to procure the scale-efficient technologies needed to address electricity system strength issues. 
Yet under the current rules, the task of ensuring system strength in the grid falls to individual new renewable generators. And they don't necessarily have a line of sight of what's happening in the rest of the particular area that they're wanting to connect their projects to. This is resulting in numerous smaller scale investments in things like synchronous condensers, where fewer but larger investments would have been more cost effective. Rules like these are standing in the way of the renewable energy resource development and are standing in the way of a coordinated and well-planned approach to system strength issues. My third example relates to the overall framework of the national energy market itself. Reforms are happening in the energy market, but too slowly and incrementally. We need a more comprehensive review of the NEM so we can address its problems in a, in a systematic and time-efficient way. This is why I've requested, and my Energy Council colleagues uh, agreed, that the Energy Security Board conduct a thorough review of whether the current market frameworks remain fit for purpose. This is now known as the ESB post-2025 review. This review is examining issues of fundamental importance, such as whether our energy-only design is up to the job, and whether a capacity market or strategic reserves are more appropriate. These are examples of what alternatives may, may be considered. The post-2025 review will examine whether we are integrating the swathes of new distributed energy resources into our system of new distributed into our system in a way that will benefit all consumers. And it will make sure that consumers have secure, reliable and affordable energy. The Energy Security Board, combining as it does all three of our market bodies and chaired by Kerry Schott, ensures the Council receives the best possible advice, reflecting the insights from all of those institutional vantage points. I see the ability of the Energy Council to task the ESB with addressing our most pressing energy market uh, issues through the post-2025 NEN review as a vital piece of our reform armoury. Energy markets have effectively run on autopilot for too long now. They were a set and forget going back about 20 years. But the reality is a set and forget business as usual approach only serves to cement the current interests in our energy system at the expense of the broader community. It is time for the Energy Council to take a more active leadership role to steer this market through this period of unprecedented change. There is a role for governments to steer the direction. Leaving the market to its own devices will not get us the outcomes that we need. This is not about taking over the role of markets. It is about helping to facilitate the growth of new markets and changes to existing markets so that ultimately consumers are the ones who benefit and the broader economy achieves the outcomes that we are all striving to achieve in a better managed transition to a clean energy future and a net zero emissions future by 2050. In the past, government and industry have come together to talk about energy because it is understood as an essential service. And while we may not always agree on every single issue, we have all been willing to discuss and resolve the challenges which face us. And this must continue to be the case. And as far as I'm concerned, November 22 can't come quickly enough. It is our first and only meeting for the year, and that is a shame. We should be having three or four meetings a year. There are too many decisions that need to be made. If we are truly to have the responsibility and take on the responsibility that 
voters expect of us as governments, then we need to truly be in the moment and in the presence of managing this reform in a way that gives Victorians and Australians the confidence they need and what industry needs to continue to invest. As ever, Victoria stands ready to work with the Australian energy sector, the Commonwealth and other states in securing more renewable energy supply, building the transmission network we need to support that, and ensuring our rules make sense for our changing energy system. And we need to meet quarterly. There's no reason why we can't, except that it's the Commonwealth who decides if we meet and when we meet. And that is absolutely a backward approach to dealing with these issues. We need to be able to be involved in making the decisions. Most importantly, we stand ready to work with the Commonwealth when they can show the national leadership Australians are crying out for. And we know what we need to do. We know what we need to do. It's about now making it happen. And I know that collectively, together, if we keep pushing hard enough in that one direction, ultimately we will make that happen. Thank you very much and I hope you find the rest of the conference as fruitful as what it has been in the past and best wishes to all of you. You've been listening to the Victorian Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change and the Minister for Solar Homes, the Honourable Lily D'Ambrosio, speaking at the All Energy Conference in Melbourne late last year. It was a very powerful speech and just actually has left me quite speechless. As you're probably aware, contrary to her hopes, the outcome of the November COAG energy meeting was that Angus Taylor resisted the call for a coordinated national plan on energy and emissions and instead focused on bilateral deals with spe- on specific projects with individual states. So this year, Lily D'Ambrosio has highlighted how Victoria cannot break the dependence on ageing and unreliable coal-fired generation in the Latrobe Valley without new transmission equipment, but that the upgrade efforts have been bogged down for years in some cases in the Australian Energy Market Commission's processes. Victoria now has to address this problem on a state level, as we pointed out earlier. And as we all know, the vulnerability of the National Energy Network has been starkly revealed in recent months with Victoria, New South Wales and South Australia narrowly avoiding load shedding in late January in the very hot season. And of course, extreme heat is dividing, driving greater demand while coal-fired stations grow older and less reliable. And another six projects in Victoria and New South Wales um, have been asked to wait by, for nine months or more before they can be connected to the grids. So there's a lot of investment uncertainty and it's prompting a lot of renewable firms to walk away from the sector. We're very grateful for the Victorian Energy Minister for making the decision to go it alone and Victoria people will benefit from this. If you want to find more information about this, you can Google the Renew Economy and Louis D'Ambrosio to find out the latest stories and podcasts on this matter. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week.
Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.